in the text that calls for our attention this Lord's evening comes to us from Exodus chapter 20. In that short account of the fifth and sixth commandments. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Perhaps there's no commandment of the ten that seems easier to clear ourselves of than the fifth commandment. In this commandment, God calls us to not take life, to protect life. And finally, it seems like there is a commandment that we can finally acquit ourselves of quickly. After all, we might do all sorts of things that are not perfect, but at least we're not murderers. Well, that was what the people gathered around Jesus also thought one day until he spoke these words. You have heard it told of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hells of fire. Yes, Jesus adds hateful thoughts towards one another, insulting gestures and careless words as a violation of this fifth commandment. And quite quickly, our clean hands become dirty with sin again. Yes, Jesus tells the people of God that they are not to be hateful. They are not to hold grudges. They are to keep their lips clean of hurtful words. What a tough task that is for all of us. For if there's one thing we seem to have great trouble doing, it is keeping our tongues and our deeds in check, particularly when it comes to things that might hurt others. Do we harbor ill feelings towards someone? Have we spoken words that are not exactly the nicest, most uplifting things we could have? Are we unwilling to forgive this person or that person for this thing or that? Well, if so, Jesus tells us that we should murder, we should label ourselves, rather, as murderers. And just as important as watching our own actions in regards to this fifth commandment is a reminder that we must stand up in our society that seems to wish to dismiss life so easily we must clearly say that abortion is murder. We must assert that life cannot simply be destroyed for the sake of convenience or for the sake of medical progress. And also, we must take seriously those ethical issues that often come at the end of the life of some of those we love. We want to make sure our decisions don't end up taking their lives. For when we do not speak about these things as we should, or when we act without thought, often our silence or our lack of thought about these issues can truly implicate us in those murderous actions. For allowing murder is paramount in many ways to committing it. Then there is that sixth commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. In this commandment, God is protecting his institution of marriage. 
Not only is marriage critical to how God has ordered the world working in every day, but God has also given marriage as a beautiful picture of his relationship to the church. And so God does not look with favor when that picture is destroyed by sin. And so God states in this commandment that sexual intimacy should only be expressed within marriage. Only within that bond should such an intimate encounter occur. The commandment in that sense is quite plain. That type of intimacy expressed within a marital relationship is good and God-pleasing. When it is expressed outside of that relationship, it is sin. It's as simple as that. But this simplistic command is assaulted from all sides in our day. Couples of the same gender like to flaunt their, sec- their sinful intimacy in parades. Young couples and old couples alike like to engage in mar- marital intimacy long before they ever think about marriage itself. Later, they often move on and move in with one another, living in sin before going to the altar. Married men and married women cheat on their spouses with astonishing regularity in our country. People divorce their spouses for reasons that don't even begin to come up to the biblical standard and then remarry without even thinking about the adulterous implications. And sadly, many people in our world, when it comes to intimacy, have decided that they don't need people around them at all for that. They settle for finding something that approximates intimacy on their computer or their television. And what's the result of all of this confusion? Well, the basic concept of marriage is challenged in every way. Babies end up being born out of wedlock and don't grow up with the blessing of both parents to give them support. Couples entering into marriage have left nothing that they can truly give to one another on the day of their marriage. Marriages are ended so that one spouse can simply go off with another person that they think now they have fallen in love with. Children are left in the wake of divorce. Marital relationships are strained, if not destroyed, by the lurid images trapped in one spouse's or another's head. And yet all of us still seem to keep laughing when somebody makes a joke about marriage. We probably laugh because any of us who have been married know that it can be a laughable ordeal at times. But in the end, we must take marriage much more seriously. For God does not laugh. He hates the mess that is made when sexuality is expressed outside of the bonds of marriage. It doesn't matter one bit to him whether it is intimacy before marriage or those or intimacy held by those of the same gender or extramarital affairs in real life or in fantasy land or adulterous remarriage. All of these are sins against the sixth commandment and all of them equally give us a terrible picture of what Christ and his church are to be to one another. All of them equally destroy lives. Are we as individuals and as a church ready to stand up for marriage? If so, no doubt it will take more than simply writing our congressman 
to stand up for the traditional definition of marriage. We're going to vote on that issue alone. It will demand first and foremost confession of our own sins. And it will require each of us to encourage one another to lead pure and decent lives with our bodies. We must as a church remain clear that God's design for marriage is when one man and one woman live faithfully together for life. But we can't just say that. We have to also back up those words with deeds. And therefore, we must always be willing to help someone who is struggling with homosexual thoughts in their struggle to remain pure. We must take every effort to help our young people remain pure as they wait for their marriages. We must support them in every way we can, knowing that often if they remain pure, they will be looked at by their peers as something that sticks out of the crowd. We must make clear that the people of God simply don't act like they're married before they are married. We must cherish marriage. We must show it the utmost respect. We need to speak well of it in our culture that likes to make jokes about it. Yes, we must encourage spouses to be faithful to one another. We must encourage reconciliation rather than encouraging divorce. And we must keep our homes free of sexually explicit material regardless of how it makes it in the door. You see, saying that we are a church that will stand up for marriage and living in a different way simply will not work. And so today, if we say that we are ready to stand up for marriage as God has ordered it, all of us must first fall to our knees before we can stand on our feet. For we all have sins in this regard. We all have sinned against the six commandments. We all have destroyed the picture of marriage that God intends for us to have. Yes, we must admit, just like with Judas and Peter, which we heard about tonight, we too at times, with our deeds and with our words, have denied Jesus. Well, we might not have said, I do not know him, but our deeds have shown otherwise. And so we must confess those sins. But confessing those sins, we leave with this great comfort. Even when we have been faithless, Jesus Christ is faithful to us. He takes our faithlessness all the way to the cross, and he leaves it there nailed into the cross. He gives us his purity instead of our awful filth. As our hymn said today, Come to Calvary's holy mountain, Sinners ruined by the fall. Here a pure and healing fountain flows for you, for me, for all. That fountain of forgiveness is Jesus. May we be cleansed in him each day. Amen.